This episode contains themes of body modification, cannibalism, and sexual abuse. If this episode raises any issues for you, we advise you to seek support from Lifeline or another help service. Welcome to the Arts Hub Up, a regular look inside Australian arts and artists. I'm your host, George Dunford. This month, we're looking at people who push themselves to extremes with writer Jenny Valentich. Everything Harder Than Everyone Else is her latest book. In the process of researching it, Jenny spoke with a wide range of people from performance artists and ballet dancers to weightlifters and extreme eaters about living beyond their limits and our taboos. To begin with, we asked Jenny what drove her to test her own limits. It's just this curiosity, really. If somebody's trying something, I want to try it too. I mean, I, I've always been like that. So, you know, years ago, I was editing Time Out and I went to Sunshine in Melbourne to go to this backyard wrestling ring and interview wrestlers. And I was so taken by it. I trained for five months with them. Um, I mean, it comes down to privilege. If you're a journalist, you get given these opportunities that a lot of people don't have. Um, and why would you not leap at that and and go for it? I mean, the real immersion journalists are the ones who sort of embed in a community and live that life long term. I sort of dip a toe in. So in the past, I've had a few blogs. I had Hey Man, Now You're Really Living, named after an Eels song, where I had to try something new every day for a year. So I would often try different people's jobs, for instance. And then a New Age guinea pig, where I tried all sorts of new age remedies, I guess, because I was very much opposed to the idea. I thought, well, investigate that then. Whenever I came across people like psychics or people who do Reiki or things like that, I would feel really angry and I would get a kind of tight feeling in my stomach. And that immediately alerted me to, well, that's interesting then, isn't it? You know, we should be curious and want to find out more about the things that make us feel something. And, um, you know, maybe it's because you think they're fraudulent, but maybe there's something more to it than that. I mean, maybe there's something more personal. Otherwise, why are you getting this very visceral response? So if you're feeling something, then that's that's a good um, sign that it's something you should investigate, even if it's something you feel you're not into. The, the worst thing would be to have no opinion on something at all. I mean, that's probably the sort of thing you shouldn't explore more, something that makes you feel nothing. But if it makes you feel something really positive or really negative, then that could be just as fruitful one as the other. One person Jenny met was Stellark. Stellark is a Cyprus-born Australian performance artist famous for works like Stomach Sculpture, in which he created an artwork contained entirely within his own intestines. But he's perhaps best known for his work with a self-explanatory title, Ear on Arm. I love the whole idea of being a human guinea pig. Um, I mean, I love that kind of style of journalism, but performance artists take that to the absolute extreme. So it's really interesting actually meeting Stellark because he warned me up front, I am the least tormented person you're ever going to meet if that's what you're hoping for. <laughs> and we mess up. Um, we met in Reading's bookshop and then we went for a coffee. And he was right. He was just this, you know, really lovely, friendly chap who was perfectly willing to talk about these quite hideous things that he's done to his body over the years. But he, he takes quite a dispassionate view. And a lot of my interviewees did have quite a dispassionate view of their body. Like, it's just a tool. It's almost like a mule 
to be driven. And so in, in Stellark's case, he kind, of, he kind of views the body as a canvas or, you know, some kind of medium, and it's part of a greater whole. He was saying he thinks that you shouldn't overthink these things. You know, you do your minimal risk assessment, um, and, you know, enough to not die, I guess, and then, <laughs> and then you just do it. And I guess hope for the best. And sometimes things have gone wrong. You know, he's had things get infected or, yeah, I mean, so the ear that's famously now on his forearm was initially going to be sort of mic'd up so that he could whisper things into it. And then people on the internet could kind of log into this page and have a conversation or hear what he's saying, that kind of thing. Um, but when the wires were put in, that got really severely affected. He was in hospital for a long time, which he just sees as part of the process, I think. In the case of immersion journalism, which is my favourite kind, I think it's very tempting to put effect over being sensible. <laughs> you know? um, you're always constantly thinking at the back of your mind, that's going to read great. Maybe that should be a prologue rather than... Um, is this going to hurt and or is this maybe even a little bit crass? Jenny is used to examining herself alongside her subjects. Her previous book, A Woman of Substances, delved into her own relationship with drugs and alcohol to examine addiction and compulsive behaviour. For everything harder than everyone else, Jenny was interested in how some people replace one form of addiction with another or turn to extremity as a way of reclaiming control of their bodies. I was thinking about this really curious phenomenon that ultra running and marathon running tends to attract people who have a history of addiction more than any other sport. It's really quite curious. Uh, Although there are there are obvious reasons for it when you think about it. Like they're quite um, they're sort of things you do on your own. They're quite meditative. There's a certain amount of self-flagellation or purging. Um, you're in it for the long haul, you're really exploring how far you can push your body. Uh, they both give you quite a high, they're both goal-oriented, and they both have the joy of the planning or the acquisition. Sometimes they had, not in the case of Stella, but sometimes they had backgrounds where there was abuse or you know they were bullied and they didn't have much agency over their bodies. And so it's almost like now they're saying to their body, now you work for me. Courtney Olson um, is one of two bodybuilders that I followed and interviewed. And um, what happened to Courtney was when she was seven, she was molested. And she, from that point on, became quite obsessed with putting on muscle. She had all the brothers too, who had like the classic gym in the garage. And she started using their weights. Um, and she kind of braided herself into being a tougher human being muscle fiber by muscle fiber um, and she's now known as the woman with the world's deadliest thighs the writers on writers series asks a leading author to reflect on an australian writer who has inspired them the latest edition is stan grant's on thomas keneally where grant considers keneally's the chant of jimmy blacksmith through the lens of race and representation Find out more about this critically acclaimed essay at blackinkbooks.com. That's black, I-N-C-B-O-O-K-S.com.
how do we really challenge ourselves and our own assumptions? Many of us have limits, but Jenny found a man who wanted to have no limits and make a study of his own responses. That man was Jack Aloka. Jack is a neuroscientist from Italy who is usually based in Melbourne. And uh, I met him through the Australian Psychedelic Society. So he's got these two parallel personal missions. Uh, one being to take as many psychoactive drugs as possible, as in different kinds, not all at once. Um, and then his other is to really, it's a bit simple to say eat as many species as possible. He's just, he's really trying to challenge his own sense of disgust and, and test his disgust mechanism. And he can trace it back to when he was um, a youngster, he would go and visit his grandparents in rural Italy and his grandmother would be, you know, chugging horses' blood. In fact, he used to be given it as a drink every morning, but he didn't know what it was. And, you know, just eating raw meat and things that he found really disgusting and repulsive at the time. And then he started to think about it more and more and decided to test, well, you know, why do we feel disgust and what is the nature of this emotion? And so um, really his eating mission is an exploration of both disgust, but also ethics and, and what makes some of us squeamish and some of us think, well, that's wrong. Um, you know, for instance, he, he'll eat quite rare species, but he's gone out with tribes who traditionally hunt them. You know, is that worse than going to the supermarket and just getting some factory farmed pink gunk? Oh, and he ate human as well. He, he had a, a friend who was quite into body modification. Jack's account of it is that this friend was from quite uh, a blue collar family and lots of men in the family had lost tips of their fingers through industrial accidents. And this friend of Jack's kind of felt uh, a bit guilty um, you know, because he was a graphic designer and living a completely different lifestyle. This is how it's been told to me. And so uh, they agreed that Jack would eat part of his finger. And I've seen the photographic evidence, it's definitely true. But if you think about it, that's the only time Jack's ever had consent from anything he's eaten. So while people are generally quite shocked at that part of the book, it is, it is consensual. After Jack ate part of the finger, um, they took the friend to hospital to, you know, say there'd been some accident. Uh, but uh, while I think that story was believed, the, the finger became infected. He had to have surgery a couple of times and then the nail started growing out of the tip of the finger. I guess the nail bed had moved. Um, and then uh, Jack had also been telling quite a few people this story after a few drinks and it got back to this guy's family who had been told that it was, you know, an accident and they ended up having quite a fallout, I think. Many of the people Jenny interviewed are what psychologists have called the type T personalities, also known as thrill seekers. They have an element of risk seeking in almost everything they do. Yeah, I think the commonality is that they all keep upping the ante. And that, I mean, so do I, I mean, not to the extent that they do, but they're my kind of people, that's why I wanted to write about them. They're always, you know, once they've hit their limit, that limit just moves. <laughs> so they're always they're always going one harder, hence the name of the book, Everything Harder and Everyone Else. And they're always moving the goalpost. And once they've achieved something, they're very goal-oriented people, um, they're going to set a, a more outrageous goal. 
that's the commonality between all of them. So there's this kind of type T identity that's been identified. And, and it is people who, at the more moderate end, are just very goal-driven and, you know, maybe they're entrepreneurs or they're athletes or they're people who are keen to break new grounds. And then at the more troublesome end, they can be a bit sort of psychopathic who have no regard for their own safety. So what happens when a thrill seeker has to give up the adrenaline addiction? One of the main themes of this book actually is retirement and reinvention and transition periods. So I think it's actually a really good book for our times because, you know, all of us last year went through this limbo. In fact, we probably still are going through it, where perhaps we even had a bit of a loss of identity because maybe we lost our job or the thing that we enjoyed doing, we couldn't do it anymore, particularly if it's a sport, that would probably be the case. Um, And so we might have had this sense of, well, who am I if I'm not the person known for doing this? And so um, through through the lives of these kind of, through the heightened lives of these interviewees, it's kind of a useful lens with which to look at our own lives in terms of identity and transition and survival. The final chapter ends up being um, quite philosophical and taking in different ideas and different solutions, if you like, for people who maybe push themselves a bit too hard. Uh, But uh, my final interviewee was Chloe Bayliss, who was this really, really promising dancer who had just been accepted at the Washington Ballet School when she became really ill. And so she had an even earlier retirement than most ballet dancers, which is pretty young. And so that chapter is called The First death because there was a famous dancer who said that a dancer dies twice but it's the first death when they have to give up dancing that is the more painful. We all go through these transition periods you know whether it's retirement or redundancy or the kids have left home or we've had kids now so we're no longer the person we used to be before we had kids. We all go through these major identity crises A lot of my interviewees in Everything Harder Than Everyone Else talk about um, the dangers of them having tied themselves so closely to what they do, particularly if they've had an alter ego, um, in particular wrestlers and porn stars in the book, uh, basically were presenting themselves as this other character. And then if they can't be that anymore, then who are they? So the final chapter of the book looks at ways of broadening our sense of self and the danger of the way that social media can really bring into focus, I am this. As well as her new book, you can read Jenny's writing and immersion journalism in The Guardian, The Monthly and other publications. From acclaimed journalist Jenny Valentish comes this wildly entertaining venture into the psychology of extreme behaviour. We all have our limits. What are yours? Everything Harder Than Everyone Else is available now wherever good books are sold. Discover more at blackinkbooks.com. Thanks for listening to The Arts Hubber. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, why not give us an extreme review over on Apple Podcasts? Our guest this month was Jenny Valentish. The Arts Hubbub is produced by John Shear, Alana Morris, Giselle Buetti, Richard Watts and me, George Sunford. 
Our theme music is Chasing Waterfalls by Tim Shield. This podcast was produced on the lands of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to Kulin elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty has never been ceded. Thank you.